0: If you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse number 13 where we left off last week. And so, I'm sorry, yeah, verse number 13 where we left off last week. I I want to... start by telling you guys, you know, there's a difference biblically and even laid out for us by the Apostle Paul in the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And and he says for some pastors and teachers and and, and two different um, functions of one preaching and one teaching that, that that are somewhat similar and yet distinctive in their own. You know, sometimes I, I I preach. You know, last week I felt like I was preaching. You know, we had fun, and there was a message, and, and I wanted to preach, and I like to preach. You know, preaching is is exciting, and it's yes, and amen, and hallelujah, and you know, look at your neighbor, and we're you know, and I get get my towel up here and pat the sweat off my forehead, you know, and say things like Jesus, you know, and and, and preach. And preaching's fun. I love to preach, but the, there's another function of the Holy Spirit that is. Crucial to our our growth and in, in our Christian faith, and that's teaching. And, and I think anywhere, you know, I think anywhere where you go, and you could go, and some churches, like I said, just just not touching the anointed the Lord in any way. God bless the ministries, but they're they're going to preach, 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 and 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 never teach, teach, teach. And so, and sometimes in preaching, I you know we teach, and I even on a preaching Sunday or a preaching time, I'm I'm still teaching, but uh, today. That was emphasis, or to let you know that I want to teach today a little bit, and, and I don't always feel comfortable as a as a teacher. I'd rather preach. It's more my heart. It's more my personality, but I um, want, want to go through some things in 1 Peter today and try to um, teach and try to break down some of the maybe hard to understand things in the second half of 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, again, I always go back every week and, and just kind of bring us up to speed from where we were and, and this week I don't really want to do that because last week we spent the a good portion of the time we began in First Peter and we walked ourselves all the way up to where we are here in chapter three. Um, but I, I want to start with just a, a, a really a true story. I, I have um I don't know how much detail I should give in this story, but I know a guy, let's just say this. And he's very um, self absorbed, has a God complex, for lack of a better term. He's very wealthy, beyond wealthy, beyond successful, powerful, influential. Um, uh, the first time I ever met him, somehow he worked into the very first conversation we ever had that his hands were insured for $250,000. dollars i like, oh, aren't you special? You are somebody. And I guess that was the point. And um, he sneezed. And somebody said to him, God bless you. And in his haughtiness, he looks at this person. And he says, who are you to bless me? And, and this Christian person who said, God bless you to him was a little dumbfounded, of course, and didn't know what to say. And, um, and, and I watched another person who was there and observed it and was like, wow, did you see what he just said? That was cool. And then I can't, you know, they, can't, they were just like, ha-choo, ha waiting for someone to say, God bless you to them so they could follow in his footsteps and say, who are you to bless me? Who do you think you are to bless me well first of all the person said god bless you but since you asked let me tell you what first peter and what paul and what ephesians and what the bible says you are and if somebody says to that who do you think you are i don't care if it's a matter of blessing or life if somebody says to you who do you think you are i want our people here to be able to give them this answer according to what the word of god says and what we said we've been studying here in first peter so listen to this you guys got to memorize this you ready so I'm a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm his own special people, chosen by God, precious in his sight, a child of the king, ambassador of Christ. I'm a son of the one true God. I'm blessed with every, every spiritual blessing in heaven. I'm chosen. I'm an adopted member of God's family. I'm accepted by choice. I'm redeemed by his blood. I'm forgiven by faith. And I am wealthy by his grace. So that's, that's what you can tell people when they ask you, who do you think you are? You tell him you're a child of the one true God. You're a son of the king. That you're blessed. You're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A set apart unto God. His own special people. And these are all the things that God thinks of you. These are all the things that God feels toward you. And, and, and the life and the struggle that we battle is we're going to see today in, in Peter is Satan is constantly trying to lie to you and remove those things from you. Oh, that's good. He went and got your checkbook. You're going to need it. (laughs) All right. First Peter chapter three, beginning in verse number 13, as we begin. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? So now you guys got to get this right. If you're not sure, just listen to the answer of your your neighbor. And as soon as they say it, just blurt it out like you knew it. (laughs) What is the theme of the book of Peter? What is the theme of the book of Peter. What is the theme of the book of Peter? Now you all know it. And if you didn't learn it last week or the week before that or the week before that or the week before that, I don't know where you were. But um, as we've been saying, the, the context of what Peter's writing is, is in the context of suffering. Because Peter's writing around the turn of the first century. And, and, and Nero killed six or six million Christians were martyred from their faith at this time in history. He's writing to a group of people that were getting ready to and going to face real persecution for their faith, and Peter, as do all of the, the writers of the Bible, but nowhere in the world do you see this. Only in Scripture, only in God's economy, from Genesis to Revelation, puts together the idea of suffering and blessing. Like nowhere else do we do we get that concept. When's the last time you guys were working away in the yard, you smashed the hammer on your thumb and you said, oh, joy, 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 blessing, 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 happy, happy, happy. Never. Right. And and this idea of joy and blessing is a it's a God thing. It's a it's a concept that God puts together for Christians and Peter is going through it and and talking about the the. Those two things going together And it says But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake You are blessed And do not be afraid of their threats Nor be troubled Turn with me if you're real I want you to read this concept From the mouth of Jesus In the Sermon on the, on, uh, the Mount Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 I think it's important that we all turn there And look at it together um, Now the word blessed we, le- we, we learned last week means Happy Happy. I even gave you a Phil Roberts to, to, to remember it. Happy, happy, happy. Blessed, the word blessed literally translated means happy. Oh, how happy. So basically, as you read the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit. Now, now all of these things, again, they would seem to contradict. But in God's economy, it's different. In God's economy, that, that we, we, we don't work our way to the top. We work our way to become the servant of all to get to the top. We work our way to, to the bottom on our way up. And it says here, Jesus says in chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Oh, happy are those who cry, cry, cry. Is that is Has that anybody said that sentence lately? Oh, how happy I am when I'm just bawling. Happy are those who mourn back in first Peter. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts. We're going to get to verse 15 in a minute. So um, this idea of, of people in the Bible who, who counted it all joy, as Jesus said, when they fell into various trials. You guys remember, we have multiple examples. We have Peter and John. After the um, Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's poured out and they're preaching in the streets and they're arrested and they're beaten and they left. And what does it say? They were praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for Jesus name. We have the apostle Paul and Silas in the same situation. They're beaten and they're thrown in prison in a Philippian jail. And they're at night singing praises and and, and worshiping the Lord that they were counted worthy to to suffer persecution for, for righteousness sake, for the name of Jesus and the will of God. And that is a concept, you guys, Christians, listen, that is such a valuable core to your faith and to my faith that that we trust God in all situations. And, you know, it would seem it would seem so as I look at my own life and my own personal experience of men that were highly trusted of the Lord. You know, I think of um, Pastor John Corson, who's um, left to go to Oregon, left Southern California with Pastor Chuck to go to Oregon, who's. In my opinion one of the greatest bible teachers that's alive today And and the work that he's done over the last 30 years of of expository bible teaching The body of work in itself as far as i'm concerned is the greatest I do not preach a sermon until I hear what john corston has to say about it first Because I, I just think he's the greatest bible teacher that we have one of them. There's lots But when john first left to go to oregon, he began his church up there and just a little work Just a young man and he began teaching the word of god And his wife died on a slip of black ice and, and very devastating. And, and again, the, the challenge in that in that situation is do I continue to trust the Lord or do I get angry at the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I've given up my life. I've moved up to Oregon to serve you, to share the word of God and you kill my wife. Or Lord, do I love you? And, and it would seem that that some of these giants of faith experience some of these things. and And, and part of you says, well, as in the Bible, it's like, it's like God can trust them. God knows that, that they're going to bless his name regardless. You know what happened? You know, the rest of the story for John Corson, several years later, his daughter, teenager, is driving her car and the same strip of road on black ice careens off the road and dies in a car accident. Wife and daughter, you think of Greg Laurie, who's who's an icon of faith with the Harvest Crusades and all that. He lost his son to um, to an early death at like 24 a couple years ago. I think of Levi lusco in in the Pacific North and or I mean uh, Montana, and his his five year old daughter went home to be with the Lord a couple Christmases ago. And um, you know, but it would seem that that you know the the idea is that those were counted worthy to suffer and that that's the attitude that the bible has that's the attitude that these men displayed when they went through it and so maybe for somebody who if if they lose a wife and a daughter serving the lord their their response is god you know i'm here trying to serve you and do your work and you take my wife and my daughter how could you do that to me lord God uses that situation for those that will trust Him, and that's why those counted it a blessing. They counted themselves worthy to be to be suffer persecution. Now, I don't want to be counted worthy that way. <laughs> you know, like it, I could cry just thinking about it. You know, obviously, right? And, and and just God would have to give you the strength when you got into that situation. But I can remember watching my own pastor as I've shared the story many times, and when when his wife, and and his story very similar from Kansas, central Kansas, things are good, life's good, it's a millionaire, million dollar farm, drives Lincoln Continentals, leaves the farm, leaves the family business and goes into the ministry, pastors a little church in Kansas for a while, comes out to California and begins a work of God and completely changes the entire county and city that he's in for the Lord Jesus Christ. They they call it the Bible Belt now, this little area there where where we're from because, you know, there's just so many Christians and and such a, a, a huge Christian population there. And his wife is, is diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And just watching my pastor go through this and live through losing his wife and seeing the strength and the resolve and just the, the, the desire. She died on a Friday and the following Sunday, I was in the front row when he stood in front of our church and said, no matter when, no matter where, no matter why, no matter how, I will trust the Lord. I'm going to go on serving the Lord. And the Lord bless and bless the Lord. The Lord bless the Lord. Give the Lord. Take away. I will bless the name of the Lord. And seeing that strength in him, seeing that, that resolve to trust God, no matter what, we don't understand everything. And, and there is trials and, and there is persecutions and there is testing. And, and in all of that, I will bless the name of the Lord. We had this, um, theme when Cindy was diagnosed with cancer, of believe. So everything we did at church was believe. Bumper stickers, bracelets, and we were believing for a miracle. And 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 when we didn't get that miracle and she went home to be with the Lord, I remember people saying to us, Well, how's your believe now? Better than ever. Stronger than ever. You know, just it hasn't changed one iota, no matter when, no matter why, no matter how. I will trust the Lord. And that's the struggle you and I are going to live. That's the struggle that that I battle as a pastor, trying to encourage you and encourage people in that, hey, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord, trust the Lord. And so for those who have been through really, really hard times and come out on the other side like Peter and Paul and go, man, that was so cool. God, trusts me enough to to, to let me go through something really terrible. (laughs) The concept's crazy, right? But that's, 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 that's the biblical concept of, of suffering and blessing together. And then just the last little note. You know, the, the concept, the idea is being persecuted for righteousness sake. And the only reason why I bring it up is because um, Christians abuse this idea all too often. You know, there's um, so-called Christian ministries who stand on corners with signs that say God hates fags. I, I promise you Jesus wouldn't act that way. And then... When they get persecuted, they they come and say, Oh, I was persecuted from Jesus' name for righteousness. I'm so blessed. No, you're not blessed. You're a freak. You're persecuted because you're an idiot. Not because for for Jesus' sake. Don't get the two confused. You're persecuted because you're standing on a corner yelling at people that they're going to go to hell. And, And there's a difference of being persecuted for righteousness' sake and because you're just that person. Don't be that Christian, okay? You give the rest of us a bad name. No, I'm just kidding. So it says it in verse number 514. If, but if even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you, with meekness and in fear. Now, we can get a little intimidated with verse number 15, because it says that everyone should be ready to give a defense. So you can under, underline that word there, give a defense. That is where we get um, our English word apologetics. Apologetics, apologia of the Christian faith, of Christian doctrine. A scientific answer behind what you believe and a defense of of what you hold to be true. We have in this nation some of the greatest Christian, what we call Christian apologetics. They are those egghead guys that are so smart that... um, you. They, they, they give you this wonderful answer, and you just have no idea what they just said because it was so far over your head, you didn't get any of it. Um, very impressive, very intellectual. We had, um, and, and if you go to Bible college and you take courses, one of the course titles is apologetics, a defense of the faith, teaching you how to defend what you believe. And it comes right here from this verse. That's where we get that word apologia, apologia in the Greek that, 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 we, that is apologetics or a defense of the faith. We have a pastor. You guys have met him, Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob was our um, resident egghead. He, he we used to tease him and say he's the smartest man in Yucca Valley. Um, and, and when I was in Bible college for two years, we had a little kind of competition. We'd have a pool. And if anybody could ask Pastor Bob a question, and if you got a yes or a no answer, you would win. You could, you, so we would just rack our brains. like, And we'd try to come up with the most simplest answer just to try to get him to say yes. Uh, pastor Bob did... Did Jesus have a belly button? Well, and he'd go on and on and on. And and no matter what you said, he would just give you this really intelligent, long apologetics of the faith and and a very thought out. And you couldn't stump him to save your life. We, We and you should follow and and uh you know whether you do it on facebook or different ways um christian apologists because you'll learn so much you'll grow in your faith so much the ones i recommend that are probably out there frank turek is is one of the leading apologists he writes the books um i don't have enough faith to be an atheist i think a rabbi ravi 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 zacharias Ravi Zacharias is another leading apologist, and you'll listen to these guys and the words that they use and the way they articulate an answer. And they often will go into secular settings and and, and defend the faith among these very difficult scientific questions. And, And yet it says here that you should be an apologist, that you should be ready to give a defense of your faith. Is anybody scared? If you're not, I'm not preaching or I'm not teaching. Because it should scare you. It should make us feel inadequate. I, I can't do what Frank Turek does. I can't do what Ravi Zacharias does. I, I don't have the knowledge, the working knowledge of what Pastor Bob has from being a pastor and, and a Bible teacher and um, president of a Bible college for the last 35 years. I, I don't have that to draw on. How am I expected to, to, to know all of these things? But I, I want to tell you in the context of what this is asking, listen to what it says. He says, a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear and then he gives us what's so cool turn with me if you would to John chapter 9 he gives us a very clear biblical example of somebody being obedient to what Peter calls us to do in in uh, first Peter chapter 3 in giving a defense for their faith now now the story I'll just kind of bring you up to speed on the story there's a blind man who was born blind And Jesus comes to him, and and in this particular situation, he healed multiple blind people. But in this particular situation, Jesus spit on the ground, and he took the dirt, and he made clay, and he put it on the guy's eyes, and he told the man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he went to the pool of Siloam, and he dipped in, and the clay came off of his eyes, and a guy who was blind, born blind saw color and life and saw for the first time. And the Pharisees wanted to put him on the examiner's seat. And they wanted to, to investigate. And they called him in and they started asking him a bunch of questions. The guy's been able to see. And, and right blind and see is, is equivalent to being born again. Or we're blind before we knew Jesus and we become alive. And so he's brand new to the faith. And as the story goes on, we're going to see where he's going to get saved. Saved to save where he commits his life to Jesus. But in this instant, he's a brand new, brand new to the faith, brand new to meeting Jesus and being healed. And he's able to give an apologia, a a defense of his faith. Look what happens. I'm just going to go through. Pick it up in verse 11. And he answered and said, the blind man is talking, a man called Jesus. Actually, let's look at 10 so we can catch it in context. Therefore, they said to him, how were you? How were your eyes open? This is the Pharisees talking to him. He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Don't know. So guess what? In your apology, in your apologetics, in your defense of the faith, sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Look what he says in verse twenty five. I don't know. But look what I here's what I do know. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Second time, he says, I do not know. The one thing I know, though, I was blind and now I see. Amen. Amen. I was blind and now I see. And you know what? That power of just your testimony, you know what the Bible says in Revelation, you know how you were going to defeat Satan? Jesus tells us in Revelation, he says, by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony. It's your testimony of what Jesus has done in your life is enough to make every one of you an apologist. You've had a real experience with Jesus Christ and you just share that from the heart. And sometimes that is way more powerful than these long scientific impossible to understand discussions and words and philosophies that some of the apologists get into and there's a field for it and there's a reason for it but for every one of us to be equipped to give a defense for our faith the word of your testimony as this blind man said i don't know this is what i know god changed my life I, i had a personal experience i um I worked in Alaska two summers while I was in Bible college. So I'd leave around May. I'd, I'd come home about middle of August and um, worked in the canneries. in August. I wasn't on a fishing boat, so we would receive. We were processing salmon. And the way this particular plant worked, it was called Peter Pan Seafoods in Valdez, Alaska. And the way that it worked was each forming because it was seasonal. So the foremans would come in uh, around April, and they would leave sometime around September when everything was shut back down for the year, and then they'd be gone for the six months and come back for, for six months. So the way that the, the, the company worked is they would allow the foreman to pretty much hire their own crews. So when I first started, I was in what's called the slime line, and that's the very first place. When the fish first come in, we, we start cutting them and cleaning them and taking the heads off and getting them ready to be canned, the very first process. We would do, in this particular plant, on a, on a very productive day, we could do almost uh, a million pounds of salmon processed in one day. Usually about 800,000 pounds a day, as long as there was fish. And so, in the slime line, the, the foreman of the slime line was a Filipino guy from Bakersfield. So, guess who was all the crew in the slime line? A bunch of Filipinos from Bakersfield. And me. And uh, had a good time, and and, and eventually, and, you know, we worked long hours, and get up early in the morning, and you'd work, you'd start at like 6.30, and we had to be in first, because we started the fish, and then the fish would go down the line. Eventually, they'd end up a can. They'd end up in the steamers, and then on the trucks and out, and then we'd take all the eggs, and they would go into the egg house, and that was where they made their big money, was on the salmon, the salmon row that would go to Japan, and so you had that. But we were in first, and we were out first, because we'd process the fish through and send them down the line, and then a half hour later, the next department would be done a half hour later so i would i would after my shift i would start going to the different departments to pick up an extra hour of work after working a 16-hour shift and um so the the woman who worked in the um the canning department she was the boss she happened to be um from anybody want to take a guess salt lake city now, this was during Bible college. I had no idea that, you know, I eventually would end up here. But, um, and her and I were friends, and I was nice to her because she was the boss, and she would give me extra hours, and I, and so it was cool. But we, we developed a friendship over the years. We'd have meals together. We took two one-hour breaks during the day, and um, we had many discussions. She was LDS from, Baker, from Salt Lake City, and so her entire crew in that section happened to be LDS from Salt Lake City. And so her and I spent the entire three-month summer going back and forth, talking about the differences of what I believed and what she believed. And we would debate, 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 debate. And um, now I don't want to put anybody in any box or anything. This was the opinion of this woman. But after three months of me telling her, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, well, the Bible says, just thinking in the Bible, in the Bible, in the Bible, being a young, green Christian, first year of Bible college. In August, after spending the entire three months defending my faith to her through the Bible, she looked at me. She was so frustrated and she said, dude, it's just a book. And I was devastated. I'm like, I spent, I I wasted three months of my life trying to explain to you certain things out of the word when your your real hard opinion is that it's just a book. And, um, in that, you know, I, 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 I just kind of broke down and we began to I just began to share with her very simply What god had done in my life And I can remember telling her and the topic came up of the fear of the lord Because the bible says the fear of the lord is the beginning of all wisdom And and there's sometimes a negative connotation that the world can have with that passage Oh, you're supposed to be afraid of your god. What is he gonna You know, he's some terrible god that you're afraid of and you shake when you see him And, And explaining actually what the fear of the lord is and each one of us should have a healthy fear of the lord Right, I mean, why wouldn't we? God holds your, your destiny in his hands. He holds your eternity in his hands. But I was telling her, I was saying, you know, it's, it's, it's like this. When, when I was a kid, I had to be home for, for dinner at 5.30. And the football game in the neighborhood was raging, and we were having a good time, and we were on the 10-yard line. There's no way I was going home for dinner at 5.30. Next thing I know, it's 7 o'clock, and the football game just gets over. And I'm starting to head home, and I'm sweaty, and I'm tired, and I'm in big trouble. <laughs> i'm an hour and a half late and i'm in elementary school and i'm approaching my house and my stomach starts turning like uh-oh when i get home pops is gonna have some words for me right and um but he's not gonna shoot me he's not gonna kick me out of the house he loves me he's a good good father but I, I've, I've sinned, I've broken his rules, and there's, there's going to be some consequences when I get home There's, there's a fear of a, of a holy God and that's healthy, and as I'm sharing with this with her, like she's almost crying, like everything just changes, and all that defense, 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 when I just shared with her my heart and, and it got into what the Lord was doing and how, how I was blind and where I was and where I came. and so I just want to encourage you guys, but in that to, to have a defense of your faith. The power the, the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. And share your faith. Share what God has done in your life. Now, do you just have to stop there? Have I given you all a pass? You don't have to learn anything else about the Bible to be able to give an intelligent answer? No, you should. And as a Christian person, if you give an honest answer to somebody I don't know, then you go home and you find the answer... And you go back and you give them a, a good, healthy answer so that, that we can battle and we can fight against that idea that we have this blind faith that just believes for nothing because that's farthest thing from the truth. There's evidence. There's evidence, evidence, evidence in truth. And we go and we find an answer. We, we want to teach our kids to be apologists. We want to teach our kids to understand why they defend their faith. I guarantee you, and this is, this is a true story, and it's going to happen. Your kids are going to go to college. First day of college, a pro- college professor says to the class, on the first day... Raise your hand if you're foolish enough to believe that Jesus Christ lived and died on a cross. It's like an English class. The world does that have to do with anything college? But if you don't think that's out there, I promise you it's out there. Talk to Lydia. She graduated. What is it? I always get it wrong. I say magna cum laude. And she's like, what is it? Summa cum laude. Yeah. Summa cum laude. So she's really smart. Just Just put it that way. And... You know, and multiple times she'd come home, you know, and, and, and she was still going to college when we first got married and um, after she got out of junior high and <laughs> finished high school and um, and she, uh, you know, I remember one time she came home and she had an art history class and art history and the first day of class, the topic was there were no Jewish slaves in Egypt. It has nothing to do with art. Just simply attack that the validity and that the Bible's true on the first day. Because the Bible says that, that the Jews were slaves in Egypt. And we know they were slaves in Egypt. And it's like, how does that have anything to do with art? It doesn't. So, 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 to ha- so the point is this. Our young people in school and in, in work and in, um, and in life are going to be challenged. They should ha- be able to defend their faith challenge your kids, ask them questions. You know, why, why do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? What would you say if somebody said this? Caleb and I always have really good conversations because I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but he loves to argue and he's good at it, you know, and he'll, he'll come home and he'll say, dad, somebody in school said that we evolved from monkeys. And then he'll go on and tell me what he told him and how he, he explained it. And, and I'll challenge him with some questions. And, and, and as we raise them, we teach him, we instill those things in them by, you know, Teaching some of them some apologetics and some things that go along. Amen. All right. Let's move on back to first Peter chapter three. I said I was going to teach today. I got to get moving. Verse 16 says having a good conscience. Everybody say good conscience. Now, unconscious and conscience. I'm going to get this wrong like four times, but there's a difference, right? Conscious and conscience. Chins and chess. Okay. Um, so if I if I hit you really hard on the button on your chin, I will knock you unconscious, and you will be unaware of what's going on. Right? You, you'll be unaware of your surroundings. Different than your conscience. Your conscience is something that's eternal. Your conscience is something that that God has designed in every one of you to to act as a as a um, conduit by which the Holy Spirit. Will, will speak to you, by which the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, by which the Holy Spirit will place upon your heart right and wrong. And our conscience is something that we battle constantly in Christian life. This next section, I want you to, to, to file that away. And as I teach through this next section, don't miss that this entire context is in the context of your conscience and how satan works to lie to you and deceive you within your conscience now there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction and we have to have that rule set before we move forward the bible says in romans 8 there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus god does not work in condemnation but very similar to condemnation is conviction and the entire ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, was that the Holy Spirit would be sent to convict you of sins. It's the Holy Spirit's job to to come alongside you and to whisper in your ear and to let you know when you're doing wrong and when you're displeasing and when you're far from God. And to call you and draw you in love unto himself and unto Jesus and speak to your conscience and speak to your heart as the Holy Spirit's job in this world is to convict of sin. Now, how do I know when it's condemnation that comes from Satan or conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit? One simple test. If the result of what you're hearing and what you're feeling pushes you away from church, away from God, away from the Word, away from Jesus, it's condemnation of Satan, and and that's a lie. If it draws you close to God, close to church, close to people that love you and love Jesus then it's conviction of the Holy Spirit, because anything that's of the Holy Spirit will draw you towards God. And the, whole, and the, and the devil's plan is to separate you by saying things like, you're, you're, you, you haven't been to church in a month. Don't go back. They're going to know you're a hypocrite. They're going to know what you did for the last month. And, you know, don't pray. God's mad at you. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, and when anything you feel in your mind, in your heart, in your conscience that draws you away from God, just know that, that deny that. That's a lie. That's not from the Lord. So that's the context that we have to catch this next section in for it is better listen verse 17 for it is better if it is the will of god to suffer for doing good than doing evil if underline in verse 17 if it is the will of god to suffer for doing good than doing evil you will suffer even in doing good and if it's god's will you're blessed for it And in verse 18, it says, So for Christ suffered once for sins and just for the unjust, that he might, underline this, bring us to God. Amen. Bring us to God. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You're lucky because if today was a preaching Sunday, I would be preaching verse 18 right now. That Jesus died once to bring you to God and the whole function, the whole responsibility and purpose that Jesus brings people to God little, little rant, you know, it, it seems like, and I don't know why it is, And Some of these things have been wonderful. There was that, um, I think the discovery channel ran it called the Bible. It was a program. It was like, they did the old Testament, like in five series, two hours long, really high quality. And then they, they did, they did uh, the new Testament and then they made a, a, a movie, um, a Hollywood movie that was very successful and very good on, on, on Jesus. They're going to come out with one on Paul now, or they're going to start post-resurrection and do one on Paul. Done really well. You have have pastors in in the United States that go on Larry King Live. You have many different religious or spiritual leaders, pastors, others, that go on the Oprah Winfrey Show. And the one thing is consistent in all these things, and it just bugs me. They love to quote John 14, and they always get questioned on it. In John 14, in verse 6, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. And they all love to quote that. In that movie, in, in, the one, in the one movie, the one that made the Hollywood version, the same people who made the Bible series on the Discovery Channel, those guys, like seven times in the movie, they quote that verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they stop right there. And on Larry King Live, they go on Larry King Live, and they smile, and Joel Osteen, who I'm talking about but bright, you know, and, 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 and he doesn't tell the whole, the rest of the verse. Because it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the rest of it say? Amen. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And yeah, there's, there's one way. You know, if there was 452 different ways to proclaim the gospel and get to heaven, guess what I would be up here doing right now? I would be sharing with you all 452 different ways to get to heaven. I would proclaim them in Jesus' name powerfully unashamedly. But there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but me. And Peter reminds us that Jesus brings us to God. And he is the only way to God. And then in verse 19, it says, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So who formerly were disobedient when the when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So we get this kind of interesting perspective of our conscience. Don't forget what we're talking about, our conscience here that Peter talks about. And he says, Jesus went and preached in the prison. Now, when did Jesus do that? I want you to turn. We're going to pick that up in a minute. But I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. And he preached to a certain group of demonic beings. So the Bible says before Jesus ascended, he first descended. There's a verse in, in, um, I'll give you the reference, in Ephesians 4 that says Jesus, before he ascended, he first descended. And so he went into hell and it says that he preached to, to the prisoners, to captivity. Now, the word preach doesn't mean like preach the gospel in the same context. It means he went and he proclaimed truth. So Jesus went to, the, the, to hell, basically, and, and preached there during that three days that he, was, that he died and before he rose again. And the Bible says, as Noah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be where? In the heart of the earth, is what the Bible says. And so Jesus goes to this place that Peter's going to bring up now. Now, why does Peter bring this up in this context, in this place that Jesus and this, this little trip that Jesus took down into the depths and into hell during this time? Into prison. We had this guy in our, in our church back home. Amazing story. Now, you want to talk about a legit, like biker, crazy criminal, life criminal was this guy. Tattoos from his fingertips to his ears. He was a big, large human being. He was scary. He, he he had an amazing, did 15 years in Pelican Bay. Pelican Bay is a maximum security prison in California where hardened criminals go to die. And he was a shot caller there. And he was, he was as legit, you know, Discovery Channel criminal case you could, you could imagine by the grace of God. He, his, his sentence gets, um, What's the word? Commuted. No reason for it. He's supposed to be doing a life life sentence in prison. It's a shot caller. He comes out. He has this, this transformation gas. Jesus in his life becomes born again and just really on fire for Jesus. Like you stand and you talk to him and you think, I, I really hope he, he, he does know Jesus because I don't want him to squish my head right now and and if he if he happens to raise his voice it, it's scary and I'm not scared of too many things but legitimately scared of this guy this human being and we're in a a men's retreat and you know we get him to come to our first men's retreat 300 men this big room are praising the lord and and he's there and pastor Gerald starts making fun of him in this group and one of the guys stands up and he's like I think pastor Gerald thinks Pelican Bays a swim club <laughs> tell him to stop <laughs> so but that, that wasn't the, the prison that, that Jesus went and preached in. You guys got to Genesis 6 yet? Okay, so in Genesis 6, we're, we're just pre-flood. Five more minutes, you guys will be done, I promise. Um, we're just free pre-flood. So 120 years, God's going to judge this world. Now, there were some things that were happening that were demonic activity prior to Noah and the flood that God that brought on the flood that are described in Genesis chapter six. We have a group of, of people of demonic beings that are described here as the sons of God. The, the Hebrew word is Benaya Elohim. Benaya means son of Ben is son. Benaya son of God. So these are um, the Hebrew word is sons of God. So everybody say Benaya Elohim. Write that in your margin. So we have the Benaiah Elohim that, that Peter is talking about, that Jesus went down and he spoke to. So it says in chapter 6, it says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the Benaiah Elohim, the sons of God, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they, they took wives to themselves of all who they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. And there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God or the Benaiah Elohim came into the daughters of men and they bore children to themselves. And the offspring were these giants and those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown and then the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the heart of his thoughts of his heart were only evil continually there was a cancer among the people that eventually god had to eradicate with a flood of noah where all but eight souls were saved and so this this group of demonic beings that that Jesus is going to speak to before He ascended, He first descended, is this group of demonic beings that left the bounds that God had set for them. And it says that they took wives and they, and they had offspring that were giants. Now, we can debate, and, and it's, it's, it's viable on both sides, that, that how did this happen and what was the actual... You know, if they're demons, they're spirit beings, They they don't have a fleshly body to have relations with a woman to bear children but yet the bible says that you know that that happened that they intermarried with women and so where they took on bodies or how that happened or if it was a, something that was different you know and prior to the flood not important for today's discussion what what is um clear is that there was this group of, of demons, Beniah Elohim, that left the bounds that God had put for them. And, 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 and the Lord put them in a, in a place called the Abuso, a special holding place, a punishment. Do you remember when, when Jesus cast the demons into the pigs? What did the demons say? They said, please don't send us. I don't know if they said please, but they said, they said don't send us into the Abuso. What was in the Abuso the Benaiah Elohim, these demons who left the bounds that, that were that are locked and chained. And, and then Jesus cast them into the pigs and they ran down the side of the hill into the water and died, committed suicide. And then in, in Revelation, someone is given the keys. Do you remember what they're given the keys to? To the bottomless pit. And when they open it up in the book of Revelation, in the seven-year tribulation period, what comes out? These locusts, these demons that are Genesis 6 that Jesus preached to that um, are going to come back in Revelation who are being held in that abuso where the other demons who weren't as bad didn't want to go. And so Jesus goes there and it says that he preaches um, the gospel. It doesn't say gospel. It says that he preaches. What does it say here? First Peter. It says that he preached to the spirits in prison. So again, he proclaimed truth to them. And so Apart on this side of the cross There was victory in the cross There was victory in the blood There was victory in, in Jesus Right now last little note And I'm really trying to rush through this I should have rushed through some of the other stuff So I could take a little bit more time on this But um, no not going to go there But mark it if you're not familiar with it Luke chapter 16 In Luke chapter 16 That's where we get the story of Abraham's bosom Now I want you to make a note That that was not a parable it was an actual event that Jesus describes in Luke 16 of a guy named Lazarus and a rich man. And, and Lazarus was a beggar at the rich man's gates. And he would have eaten scraps from the dog's table. And the Bible says they both died and went to Abraham's bosom. One Lazarus to heaven or to the side that was paradise. And the other to Hades or the side of torment. And there was a great um, crevasse that was betwixt between them. And you couldn't get from one side to the other. And the rich man called over to Lazarus and asked for one drop of water upon his tongue. And Jesus tells this story. Now, um, Jesus went down, and and the other thing he did, it says that he set captivity free. So he went to the side of Abraham's bosom, that's a literal place. Some believe in the center of the earth. and, And he set captivity free. Which means those that were saved, according to the Old Testament law, they went to be with the Father. Now, why couldn't they go to heaven before the cross? Because their sins were not washed away. Their sins were only covered in the blood of the lambs. And and a lamb's blood was not sufficient to wash your sins away, only to cover them. And so when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he went down and he set captivity free. And the Bible says on this side of the cross, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you die today, you don't go to Abraham's bosom and wait for Jesus to die on the cross. You go directly to heaven to be with the father and to be in heaven. But the other side, the the, the temporary holding place for hell, it still exists. And the Bible tells us in Revelation that God is going to throw it into the eternal lake of fire. And and that's where Satan and, and, and the false prophet will be cast into the eternal lake of fire. So Jesus goes down and he proclaims truth to the other side. There's no second chance. Some will say that he goes down and preaches the gospel to give you a second chance. That's not what it says. You can't find that. You've got to make that up. That's not in the context. That's not in the in the scriptures anywhere supported. There's no second chance. He goes down and, and, and he claims victory on the cross for you and me in this idea of our conscience. Because before this, demons had a different power that Jesus had victory over. And, he, and he's not going to allow them. On this side of the cross, here's the, the whole sum of it. Demons do not have power over your life anymore amen the the the, the only power how much power does satan have over your life only what you give him only what you give him and that the demons have no power to touch you and jesus went down peter tells us and proclaimed victory they have power to do this though they do have power to lie to your conscience and that's what they do effectively and well They will lie, 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 lie to you. And that's why I think it's important that you remember this list of who you are, that you're chosen, that you're blessed, that you're wealthy, that you're a child of the one true God. You're a son of the king. And you remind yourself of those things as as God is is doing. And Satan has no power over your life. The Bible says he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And, and, And Jesus is in you. And you can't be demon-possessed and and a Christian at the same time. You don't need to be freed of any demons because there's no demons that are going to exist and live where the Holy Spirit of God lives in your heart and your life. And he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You know, we we want to say, oh, Satan made me do it. That's That's a famous excuse of Christians. It was Satan. Satan made me do it. I didn't want to do it. It was Satan. Well, first of all, Satan is not omnipresent by God. Like God, he can only be in one place at one time. And so, but he has a whole host. A third of the, of the angels became fallen angels or demons that, that can tempt us and, and do. There was a guy and he was a penny pincher and he, he, he finally, whatever reason, he let loose and he gave his wife the credit card to go to the mall to, to shop. And he warned her and he said, don't you overspend. He said, if you see something and you're tempted to buy it and it's too expensive, he said, I want you to just say, get behind me, Satan, get behind me, Satan. So you don't give into that temptation and spend too much money. And she comes home with the most beautiful, expensive dress he's ever seen. And he's freaking out. And he's going, what? I told you, if you get tempted to say, get behind me, Satan. And his wife goes, honey, I did. I did. I said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, it looks good from back here, too. (laughs) And I had to buy it. But Satan, he he doesn't have any power over your conscience. But here's the deal. And you know what happens right here in church, too? so just the the message that peter gives is to fight that lie that 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 constantly satan is trying to lie to us you know i sit here in church on sundays and you know i want to make a connection sometimes i try to separate myself from what's around me and where i'm at and i try to just picture myself in the throne room of god or whatever it takes to just get in the spirit of worship and every time i'm standing there and i just i just want to worship the lord i start hearing these voices reminding me of what i did yesterday and my sins and telling me that don't raise your hands to the Lord. You're a hypocrite. You can't worship the Lord. You're got to fight with your wife this week and and lies, 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 lies. And, and I try to find a way just to say, Lord, all of it's true. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not deserving. I'm, I'm, I can't stand here based on my merit or because I deserve it or because I earned it or because I'm a good person, but Lord, will you allow me this time just to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I just, just help me just put those lies of Satan out of my mind. There is no condemnation. If I'm feeling condemnation, it's pushing me away. I know that's not of you. And and, and that battle of the conscience that say that, that Jesus gave us victory over demons in every way. And we don't have the battles that they had in the old Testament, but they can still lie to us. and and fighting that lie and constantly telling yourself the truth that, you know, God loves you. God wants you to worship Him. He wants you to worship Him in spirit and truth. And then, um, can't leave it undone with the last two verses. So it just says, listen, um, there is also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism. Now, if you believe you get saved by water regeneration, don't get too excited here. Keep on reading. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience, which is what we're talking about in context toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and power having been made subject to Jesus. And and that's the truth and the victory that Jesus proclaimed when he first descended, that he had power over them in and victory. And, and water baptism doesn't save you. But water baptism is um, is is a call for Christian people. You know, I don't know that I've ever met a Christian person that says, yeah, I'm born again. I love Jesus. I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit in my life. But I don't want to get water baptized. I don't need to be water baptized. I'm not going to get water baptized. If that's your attitude, then there's probably uh, something wrong with your Christianity. There's probably something wrong with, you know, your your relationship with God. Because the reality is, if I have a relationship with God, I, I want to get water baptized. And there's a power that Peter talks about in water baptism, not to save you, but but to help you spiritually and, and, and physically in that battle of the conscience with with, with with the enemy. And that's just what the word teaches, that there's a power in water baptism. Something changes. It, 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 and if you did it a hundred years ago and you think, well, I, was, well, I wish I would have known that now, man. Yeah. Listen, it's retroactive. You can go back. It's still good. It still works. And if you're not sure, do it again. Get baptized again. Get water baptized and just know that there is a power in it. And there's a power in that battle and that victory that Jesus has over your life. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Hey, let's just close in prayer today, worship team. I'm so sorry, but I went over a little bit, and we'll let these guys get to lunch this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for for just the truth of your word. And I thank you that in this, Lord, um, that there is power in the name of Jesus. And Revelation tells us that we overcome Satan by the power of the blood and by the word of our testimony. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that, that each one of us would, would just claim that. Lord, I pray for this area of our conscience, Lord, that, that Satan has access to and the demons have access to to lie to us. Father, they don't have power to touch us or heal us. You have victory, and you, you proclaimed on this day victory over those things. But yet the, the power that remains in them, Lord, is to lie to us. And so, Lord, we, we pray, Father, that you'd guard our minds and our hearts from the lies from the the condemnation and that we would only um, receive and stand in the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.